fueled by the outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. What's up, guys? And if this is episode 37, nice. that's hard to believe. <laughs> We're so cool right now. Right. <laughs> that's pretty so, awesome. Uh, yeah, we're actually coming up on almost a full like calendar year of doing this podcast, so that's pretty exciting. But as most of you know, we didn't always put out a podcast every week, but this year, uh, so far, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job of that. So hopefully oh, yeah. uh, you're tuning in, listening, and loving everything that we have to bring to you all in the coming months, because there is a lot, and we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. So uh chris and i were talking a little bit before this and you know we're right at that weird kind of time of the year i know i said it a couple weeks ago like rick's calendar year doesn't end and blah 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 blah. but in some ways things are starting to come to an end and starting to refresh and be new so we thought it'd be a good opportunity to take some time tonight to discuss a number of different topics uh, throughout the outdoor uh, pursuits that you can go out and go do now that you can do in the coming month and then get prepared for uh, more for a little bit in the future because March isn't that far away, which means April isn't that far away, which means turkeys aren't that far away. Uh, banging redheads, man. There's nothing <laughs> like it. <laughs> it's a good I'm going to get, a, I'm gonna get a, at least one <laughs> message about that. It's going to be funny. Somebody's just going to put like, banging redheads dot 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 lol <laughs> it's gonna be the name of the awesome. podcast episode <laughs> or somebody will have a redheaded have a redheaded wife and want to like oh, shoot my me in the face uh, so yeah now that i've made it awkward for everybody um <laughs> first things first uh i'd like to discuss the ending of the shitty deer season that some of us have experienced for yeah, those of you rough. that have killed bucks, I hate you. No, <laughs> congratulations. Um, it's it's been a struggle for me, and I you know I can't say it enough that I'm super blessed and have have passed a couple really good bucks, um, mm-hmm. an eight that would be uh, my number at a glance because I don't have pictures of this deer. I saw him once. I think it's a 136 inch eight pointer. If I had to put a number on mm-hmm. it, he's a pretty good eight, but. I think he was three. I couldn't make him before with my mm-hmm. eyes. So I couldn't shoot him at like the end of October when I could have been done for months. But I also passed a really good deer that I'm probably going to be hunting this year. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about him because for obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> but um, with that being said, um, we're we're getting to the end of deer season. Mm-hmm. and if you're anything like me and you have a deer picked out for next year or have thoughts at all about a certain spot that you feel like you can improve, honestly, right freaking now is the time to go out there. Well, not today. If you're hunting in Ohio, I think just about everybody's done. <laughs> Kentucky's done. Ohio, um, still, I, I believe well, a lot of Southern states are I yeah. mean, Southern, Southern states like Alabama and stuff, I think are still open for yeah. about another week. Missouri yep. just closed. Okay. Uh, but most, most Northern states are done for the year, yep. I believe. So we've got till Sunday. So after Sunday, basically, oh, excuse me, after Sunday, 
Sorry about my yawning, guys. It's uh, 9.30 and it's been a day. So after your deer season ends, uh, uh, what, what happens is a lot of people, they put out cameras and salt blocks and minerals and corn and all that, July, August, September. And then like two weeks before the season happens, they go through and start hanging stands and trimming stuff and cutting it down and rearranging things. And uh, to me, you are educating any mature deer in that mm-hmm. area. And I would advise against that wholeheartedly and scream at myself. If I did that, I do not recommend that at all. If you're trying to hunt target and kill a mature deer. So, so, so one, one of the things that comes to mind with that is, is that uh, I used to work for the park service in Ohio oh, nice. and yeah. And uh, I used to work around the lakes and um you know, I worked the summers there when I came back from college. And one of the things that they never had us do during the time when we were there was cut down trees or take down limbs and that kind of stuff. And one of the reasons was, is that that was kind of like winter work um, or early spring work, because one, uh, you don't want campers being around when you're taking down trees. Sure. The same principle kind of goes along with mature deer. You don't want to be taking down trees and things right before, you know, deer season starts because all you're going to do is spook them and they're going to not want to be back in that area. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty simple thing like this. This is the time of year. If you start thinking like, hey, I'm like, I'm wanting to move my stand uh, or I think that there might have been deer over in this area. You want to start looking at those areas now to be able to do stuff. I mean, March, April, to be able to get in there with a little bit more time between you and the season, so you can, you know, not further educate these deer that you might have been around. And uh, we've talked, we talked about pressure last week, and one of the worst things you can do is start going in there and, you know, screwing around with the deer's habitat, you know, two weeks before the season starts. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can't say enough that if you manipulate an area close to deer season, you're giving him a game plan. Yep. Period. You're allowing him to game plan and have an idea. And I don't want him to have, I want him to look like Matt Damon in the departed when he walks into the apartment at the end of the movie and Marky Mark's waiting there to shoot him in the face. (laughs) You know, I want him to have that look like, (sighs) Oh shit. He got me, you know, so which in all reality, it's kind of funny because mature deer, when you do the little, "Eh," or in my case, I actually do something a little different. I actually go like that, Mm -hmm. kind of like a little baby fawn bleat and -hmm. nobody else does it. So they're not tripping balls, but even so, man, they, the way they throw their head to the side or whatever to look, you can tell it's like, wait, what? Yeah then it's pretty much over. So anyway, um, you know, I got to look and I was sitting on the ground the other day and I'm like, man, I'd love to just, as soon as this deer season ends, I'm going to run through here and trim some of this honeysuckle bushes just in a, a shooting lane. I'm not talking mm-hmm. like clear the hillside or anything, you know, clearing anything, just shooting lanes uh, and get stuff moved around the way you want. Um, I'm probably going to use an old shelter to hunt out of next year for a specific deer 
and I'm going to start doctoring that up now. Mm-hmm. So that way I can slip in there when the time is right and have everything ready. I've even thought about planning a plot, a micro plot, just to have him out eating um, for, you know, the beginning of deer season and kill him early. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's, I'm not going to sit over that plot. I want to kill him on the way to it and yeah. ambush him, you know? So that's one of the things you can think about. The other thing that I can't stress enough, you're not going to grow a 200 inch deer because you put mineral out. You might grow a 200 inch deer because you min- put mineral out and it originally was going to be 194, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, you'll add a few inches, but mainly you're going to help the lactating does. You're going to help the bucks be healthier. You're just going to help the general health of the deer and that'll promote antler growth a little bit. But right now is the time to do that because they're under so much stress from recovering from the rut and the winter and all that. So, well, and and to be clear also, you know, I I know our listener base knows some of this stuff, but for anyone listening that's new, um, you're not going to get a deer that goes from two to three and it's going to put on 40 inches of mass and right. you know stuff i mean general i mean unless something yeah. freakish happens and yeah. again maybe that happens Don once Higgins in a Mel. you know a lifetime but <laughs> right. um the re- reality being is is that you know some of these things is you know this is a good time to go back and look at your picks take inventory if you have cameras up still i know i still have a camera up that I haven't been in the area since after Thanksgiving that I'm going to go pull at some point to see which deer made it through uh, gun season and bow season. So I can see what deer I may have next year to kind of start looking at a little bit more. So, you know, these are important things to really start kind of looking at as you are heading into the quote unquote downtime of the outdoor year. What the you know, slackers like call the off season. Yes, what Slackers call the offseason. Like I said, I did that podcast uh, a few weeks back about, you know, how to get organized and stuff. And like the the saying, like, there is no offseason because there's not. There's not an offseason. Like if you if you are an outdoors person, like there is plenty of things to go and do right now to improve your year in, in, in the coming months. So, yeah, I mean, there's. Like you said, you're going to be hunting this weekend uh, till Sunday. I'm I'm hunting tomorrow night. Uh, the weather decided that it wants to change, and it's going to be 20 to 30 mile an hour winds, and I'm going to be sitting in a tree. Heck yeah, yeah, that's that's going to be fun. But uh, you know, it's it's buzzer beater time, and the, these are this is the time that we talk about where heroes can be made if you put down a, a late season buck. Uh, yeah, that would be huge. I don't like to count chickens or anything, and I'm certainly not. But I can tell you I have the coolest idea for some things to put in the video mm-hmm. if I kill a buck. Which, I mean, if I kill a buck, it's probably going to be pretty pretty nice. I'm not just going to shoot anything with antlers or anything. You know, I got to be at the end of the year like I was at the beginning and the middle. You know, I just mm-hmm. want to be like, well, uh, what, what if – what if I, I should just shoot this and so I can say I killed a buck? That's not what I want to do. So right. that said, I got some pretty sweet 
little things that I'm going to add and I'm not even going to tell you guys about them. I'm just going to add them <laughs> and then see what you think, but uh-huh. it'd be pretty cool. Um, but uh, you know, Rick brought up a good point when you're talking about organization and everything, get those stands taken down, get your yeah. sticks taken down. Um, you know, I don't know if people really like to leave the ladder stands there, that's fine, but I would probably go as far as tie a rope around the ladder stand to the tree Mm -hmm. and then remove the straps so you can put those up, go Mm -hmm. pull your cameras and get the batteries out of them so that they don't leak your cards, get everything open for a few days, let them dry out. Um, And then the other thing I have to say for you people that aren't absolutely ate up with archery like myself get your bow give her a bath just wipe her down get all the mud off the cams off the limbs any dirt anything and then right now i have to say if if you're anywhere close to needing new strings get those things put on now yeah so that way all year long you can fine tune that bow and have it ready and you're not, you know, a month before deer season and every shop around you is backed the hell up because, mm-hmm. you know, everybody and their mother's brother needs new strings. And for some reason, and I did this too, people wait a week or two weeks before deer season and then go get strings put on. And I'm like, well, and this year was bad about that. I remember I went oh, to yeah. my local bow shop and I got my string. I, I had strings put on already. I just needed my annual tune-up. Like I go and I take it to get an annual tune-up every year um, just to make sure everything's, you know, working right on it and make sure everything's tightened up. I think I did that in July and I went back in there. Kentucky season opens in September and in uh, August, there was guys coming in saying like, well, I need my bow and I need strings. And the guys are sitting there like, uh, dude, it's at least at a minimum right now, a 10 day turnaround on strings. And that's if we get the strings in because of shipping issues. I mean, this yep. was over this, over the summer where we're having all the issues with the post office and, you know, people getting, you know, supplies in from bunches of different areas, but it's tough when, you decide, oh, I'm going to get my bow fixed. And it's when everyone else decides to go get their bow fixed. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's it's a real simple process. It's kind of like if you go to the grocery store, you don't go Sunday at noon. Right. Uh, if you want the good produce, because all the produce is going to be picked over. But if you go at nine o'clock, you're going to be in a better spot. So be, be wise about when you go and you look at this stuff to have it done because inevitably you're going to have some stuff that needs to be taken care of. I sent my turn. I like, I mean, Aaron's been sending you the pictures and again, I hope that we yeah. get him on here at some point, but he just redid uh, my Turkey gun for me and you know, God, you know, God love him. He did. He turned that around quick, quick. And, uh, you know, he took it apart, cleaned it out, everything that I want done with a gun, you know, at the end of the season before the next season. So I can go in, I can run my uh, shells through it and get patterned out. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I'll say, and I think a lot of people don't do, if your strings got a little bit of life to them, Uh get some good wax, not that stupid tube. (laughs) Go get a can of wax 
and get some on your fingers, just like you do with Aquaphor or something. I'm not saying to use Aquaphor, by the way. I'm giving you guys an example in case somebody like pomade isn't paying can. attention. Like right. the little, like the little round, like yeah, Dapper it's a little Dan round can. tin. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can get them. I think locally here for those that are local. I got mine at Broken Rack. I'm sure you can go to Twisted Tine or Archery World or FAS M&M Archery Foss, over in Northern Kentucky. M and M. There's all kinds of places, and I'm sure they carry good stuff. The little tin is really good. Get a little bit on your fingers and dab it on each part of your strings and cables. Do not put it on your center serving where your D loop and kisser button and all that goes. I repeat, no wax on your center serving. Then just rub it in and that'll really condition your strings. It'll help keep water out of them a little bit and just keep them clean and, mm-hmm. and, uh, really lubed and hydrated and it'll prolong the life of your string. So that way, A, you save a little bit of money and B, your bow stays in time, which is huge. So get all your deer hunting stuff put away, organized, all that. Um, our, our next thing that we want to talk about here is um, I want to talk about COVID-19 a little bit, but not in the way that the interwebs want to talk about it. So last year and i'm i'm curious you know i'm gonna really pay attention this year as i do Mm -hmm. every year but um last year we encountered record numbers and if anybody tells you hunter numbers are down right now hit them in the face as hard as you can because they're a liar (laughs) that is not a real thing there's no way in hell that it's a real thing um i saw you for sure I can tell you for a positive fact that at a minimum fishing licenses were up 40% in the state of Kentucky this year. Easily. And I'll bet, I'll bet. I I bet it's more than that when you look at it. Yeah. So uh, COVID-19 did something last year that was really cool and really sucky all at the same time. So we had that big shutdown like March and April or whatever, yeah, maybe into May and all that. Yeah. So yeah, it wouldn't have been March. Um, That's, that's when it actually, that's when it actually started was the weekend of March the 6th. Cause I was supposed to go to Nashville for a basketball tournament. Yeah, I think uh, so. I don't think it was, it wasn't that early stuff started not happening, but I'm talking about like, where companies shut down and people weren't at work. Like, Oh yeah, Luke, that was April. Luke was out of work for four to six weeks or something. Yeah. So that being said, um, we went to winter nationals in North Carolina. I want to say it was yeah. uh, middle of March. And then literally a week later, everything's shut down. Shut so down. Um, a lot of people were off work. A lot of people were out turkey hunting. A lot of people were mm-hmm. out fishing. You saw people out walking, hiking, biking, kayaking. Oh, you couldn't find a kayak anywhere for sale. Still can't. Um, yeah. So um, that said, I'll be interested to see what it's like this year. And I mean, I think there's still going to be an influx, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near what it was because people have to go to work now. Right. And the cool part about that, which any of you little classified sharks like Luke and Jeff and all them are, um, 
you know <laughs> there's there's going to be stuff for sale man if you're you looking to it man yeah if you're gonna you if you're gonna it. if you're looking for a bow or uh you kayak, know a kayak, yeah a kayak my a camper God, and stuff tent. that's lightly used like essentially what will have happened i guarantee it people got into this and they're gonna be like shit man this is uh there's a lot of work and yep. i'm not off work now i have no time for this i need money for xyz yep. let's put this up on the market and i'll take a, a, a substantial amount less um and again remember you control the market as a buyer. If you start paying premium dollar for used stuff, we all will pay premium dollar. It's just mm-hmm. like pro staff people. If pro staff people will sell their soul for 10%, no company's ever want to go mm-hmm. to, they're not going to want to give anybody shit. Right. So um, remember, understand your value and the value of your dollars and don't well, and- just buy something. Exactly. Uh, so to piggyback off of that, you know, you're going to have a lot of the COVID really threw a wrench into a lot of things differently this year. It made, and again, I think in, in some ways it was a good thing uh, in the sense that it got more people outside, oh, yeah. it got more people doing stuff um, that they wouldn't normally do. Now, that being said, as an outdoorsman, um, it did put a hamper on things that I like to go do because there was more people around. Um, then I particularly care to see sometimes. So I went to Cumberland in August and for a guy's trip and the, it, it was packed. packed yeah, packed. I remember that. Um, they, there was no open sites and there's people kayaking the river and, you know, just every trout spot that I would go to, it's like, good Lord, you know, it's getting pounded by people, you know, fly fishing. And I mean, that's great. Like, don't get me wrong. But again, you know, watch your Facebook marketplaces, watch your classified ads, watch Craigslist and that kind of stuff, because there's going to be stuff that's going to come available. Or uh, you can go to your, I don't even know if they exist anymore, like all about sports or used sporting good places. We'll have this stuff in stock, uh, you know, before too terribly long, because people aren't going to be able to find the use for it. If not this year, then next year. But the other thing I want to kind of uh, approach with this is, is for any new outdoors person that's listening to this, do yourself a favor. Um, I think I mentioned this several times over the summer. We had more drownings in Kentucky this oh. year because, uh, I mean, I forget how many more there were this year than last year. But what it can more than likely be directly attributed to is that you have more people who don't know what they're doing out on the water, not wearing life jackets, not doing things that they need to be doing. Thank God we didn't have more hunting accidents um, than what we did than what we normally do or anything along those lines. But if you are a, a new person, a person new to the outdoors, even if you're going hiking um, or you're going camping in the backwoods, talk to somebody who goes and does this every once in a while and learn kind of like the basics. You know, there's stories right now where you know, I can't remember if it's Banff or wherever else up in Canada where people are crapping on top of the ground and not digging holes. And there's like, God. you know, poop tickets everywhere all over the ground because people don't know how to clean up after themselves or, you know, it, 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 take, it takes 10 minutes to look stuff up, understand it and look at it moving forward. Same with your regs for hunting season. We're gonna have a new set of regs here in the next few weeks. Take a minute, even if you are a knowledgeable sportsman, 
read that stuff over. And if you see somebody not doing something right, walk up to them and just say, hey, you need some help with that or something along those lines. You don't need to be a dick, but, you know, go up to them and offer some help because maybe it's their first time going out there because this this is something that you're probably going to see a lot more of, especially in, you know, the coming years where there's going to be a lot more uh, visiting of national parks due to backlogs being taken care of. They're going to be a lot more stuff, you know, opening back up here soon of state parks. So be aware that there's going to be people there who might need help and just to kind of offer them a hand. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, as we progress through all this stuff, um, you'll, you'll find that there's going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, there's going to be some new people period. Cause let's face it. Plenty of people are getting into this that have never yep. done it before yep. and they're going to fall in love just like us. And I'm going to say that's probably 20% at best. Yep. And then the rest of them are going to be like, mm, I don't have time. There's a lot of work or, yep. you know, whatever. Um, be a good time to, help educate those people mm -hmm. that stay around. Uh, you're going to, you know, have patience on the interwebs. You're going to have a lot of new <laughs> questions and stuff still. Um, and everybody should, you know, I understand you can search a page or whatever. Why the hell, why do that? Just go Google, you mm -hmm. know, make, it's okay to make a post on a page and say, Hey, here's what I'm doing. Any info is appreciated because you could get newer stuff and you're always refreshing new people. Mm -hmm. You can't count on people to search that stuff on a page or whatever. So um, with that said, I'll kind of piggyback a little bit off of you now. Uh, you know, he was talking about how I went fishing down at Cumberland with his buddies, which leads me to winter fishing. Yes. Which is literally late winter and early spring, mm -hmm. which to me, early spring is like from you know i think the first day of spring uh the spring solstice or whatever march 21st 21st right? yeah yeah do we do we have a spring solstice or is it, do we just uh, we just winter have a solstice. winter and summer yeah right and then just the first day of spring is march 21st right yeah march 21st okay. and march 22nd i don't know the only reason i know that is because i watched groundhog day the other day and they said it in that and i can't remember i'm pretty <laughs> sure it's the 21st either yeah. way towards the end of March into, yeah. you know, mid April or so. But, um, when it's still chilly, that is like just beautiful fishing weather. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't understand that and utilize it because it's cold as shit outside cold. still. Yeah. And you got to wear, you know, gloves and coats and it's like a deer hunt. So, Coveralls, yeah. um, with that said, guys, late winter, you can get on some monster, fat chicks out there in those lakes those big crappie stripers trout Small you name mouth. it big catfish mm -hmm. i mean anything you want to catch really the only thing that i honestly struggle with in cold water is the damn bluegill and i mm -hmm. know that you could target them i just i'd rather catch crappie and stuff anyway but they can be caught um yeah so kind of start doing your research about that post on pages, Google, uh, listen to podcasts, whatever. But I have to say late winter fishing is going to be 
booming here soon. Um, the other thing that I want to talk about with you is gardening. Yeah. Uh, we are not putting in a garden right now, clearly. But <laughs> there's still snow on the ground. Yep. Um, for some lucky people, yeah. Mother Nature <laughs> ruined it today with all her rain and yesterday with all the sun and all the like almost spring temps felt like anyway. You're um, lucky my front yard is still covered in snow. Oh, dude. And you're but, an hour south of me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. I don't understand Ohio's little stupid valley that I'm in. I don't, I don't get it. But anywho, gardening um, right now is a great time to get those tomato plants planted. Another thing uh, that I'm going to be doing is I'm going to put an absolute crap load of milkweed out. And I'm mm. thinking of uh, maybe selling some plants to generate money for mm. our film stuff and everything um right now if you want to grow milkweed is the time to do what's called called cold moist stratification and essentially you're going to moisten those seeds and i'm going to do a whole thing on this but uh you're basically moistening the a little bit of sand or soil putting the seeds in there and then you stick it in the fridge for six weeks. And if you do not do that, there's a good chance your milkweed's not coming up unless right. you go put the seeds in the ground now. Um, you're not going to just put them in your you know, little cups or whatever you have with dirt and have them in your house or greenhouse. And they just magically, you know, uh, evolutionarily, they have not evolved, you know, to do that. So uh, that's one thing to think about. Get your seeds that you need, you know, you're your tomatoes. Another thing I think you could probably go ahead and do are some peppers. Um, and then some of your tubers, I believe as well. Um, your bulbs and stuff. Um, I mean, a lot of, a lot of this stuff is, you know, you're, and again, just to clarify, Chris is meaning starting it from seed, not like going out and trying to find a a beef steak tomato plant (laughs) and it's starting it now. Um, you know, start your seeds now because it's going to go, you know, what, if you can start them really anytime within the next month, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be looking good by, uh, you know, Mother's Day when typically you want to plant some of this stuff. But reality being uh, with, with starting that stuff, make sure that you're taking the time and you're understanding what plants you're putting in and how you're doing them. Like the cold, moist uh, stratification, the frost seeding with the milkweed, um, you know, people, I, I always, I always like to plug this. Most states uh, have programs for you to get free milkweed seeds. Um, yep. it, it's, you know, they want you to plant this stuff because it's monarch butterfly habitat. And they will be happy to tell you how to grow it, where to grow it, and when to grow it. Yep. And, and to ensure and give you the correct healthy, kind of milkweed for your the correct kind. Well, that's the other part, the correct kind of milkweed for the area you're that you're in too. So you don't get some weird, you know, one that's not supposed to be in your area. And then it, it, you know, does something goofy, but this is the time of year to really start looking at that kind of stuff because it's going to be more helpful for you. Like you said, six weeks in the fridge, that's mid March right now. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, that, that, that's mid March. And then, you know, again, a month later, you're starting to hear turkeys gobble. 
-hmm. So you, know, you, you have to think about these things in terms of if I start this now, where's it going to be when I actually want it to go? Because you're not yep. like, no offense to anyone out there, you're not just going to go find milkweed plants and be able to just drop them in the ground. You, you got to start them from seed. And if you don't want to, you know, if, if, if you don't want to like invest in like planners or that kind of stuff, very simple thing that they teach you in elementary school, get an egg carton and start them in that yep. and then yep. move them to the next thing and then move yep. them to the next thing. Yeah. And before you know it, you'll, you'll be good. You'll be good as gold with some of this stuff. Yeah. And just to kind of build on that a little bit. Um, so you actually can buy milkweed plants at floral places or in nurseries or whatever. Nurseries but, or greenhouses. But I would highly recommend not doing that because a lot of times you can end up purchasing tropical milkweed. And while that looks really beautiful, it is harmful to the monarch butterfly population. It has a number of detrimental effects that just, it, it wrecks the monarchs. Mm -hmm. And that is, I hate to sound like a little vegan hippie geek here, but um we all, <clears throat> not we all, sorry, guys who are 30 and over, girls even, uh, mm -hmm. we all got the pleasure for the most part, I think, to chase the monarch butterfly around with mm -hmm. our butterfly nets. Yeah. Along with the little white and yellow ones and the big yellow swallowtails. That was like the booner butterfly. Oh, yeah. Um, but all of a sudden, the monarchs are gone. The crawdads are not in the creeks anymore. Um, you know, there's, there's things, bugs. way less lightning bugs. There's things that we need to be doing to figure out how to better ourselves and, uh, go about our everyday lives so that we can have those, mm -hmm. not only for the animals, but so our kids can get the joy of running their asses off all day, yep. chasing butterflies and stuff. So, uh, and going down to the Creek and catching crawdads. So again, I would highly advise not buying the, and any monarch expert will agree with me on that. Do not plant tropical milkweed. Um, it, it doesn't uh, do what's called dieback where it just goes away, goes dormant or whatever. Right. And this, uh, this screws up their migrations mm. and the mating and uh, the, when they eat it and stuff it affects their wings and their flight and it's just terrible. So sorry for those of you that are probably wondering how I know this. I'm not some genius. I have been pouring through information on this so that we can bring it to you because I want to grow milkweed and I want to know everything I can about it. And I have been nerding TF out. I censored myself. Um, I have been nerding out on this stuff. So, uh, I highly advise you to plant some seeds uh, and try it for yourself. If not, I will have some milkweed plants. And then later on in the year, I will have milkweed to sell as well. This all funds our, our little business that we're doing. And uh, just one more little tidbit of information for you. Mm -hmm. If you plant one plant, I didn't realize this, but it makes complete sense. If you plant one single milkweed plant, it is a perennial that grows on a vine underground. Yep. So you, you don't need 75 plants 
in a few years, you could have a crap load of milkweed growing everywhere. So something to think about. Absolutely. And it's, it's important to know this kind of stuff just from a naturalist standpoint, because pardon me, uh, you, you want, you want to be able to pass this information down. Like this isn't just like, you know, we talk a lot about hunting and fishing on this podcast, but this is, you know, pretty basic conservation ideas, conservation. very basic naturalist ideas. And that's something that really, as, as I've gotten older, you notice like it dies out and it's unfortunate because younger generations need to know this kind of stuff. You know, there's, you know, you might have a copy of these books. I know I do. I have I don't, one I don't of them. have them. You know, the Boxfire books. I don't have any books, dude. The books so, I have are the ones that you gave me to give to somebody that never <laughs> gave them, that's that's the books that I have. So th- this is this is kind of a good thing. Again, this is a great time of year to get into this stuff if if you don't have anything to do. There's a set of books uh, called the Foxfire books, and the Foxfire books were, I believe, five volumes, and they were written by. Um, basically word of mouth this teacher in Georgia I think it was told his students I want you to go and I want you to ask your grandparents a story about how they lived so this was the teacher did this in the 60s so these grandparents were like closer to like in living in the 1800s and they came back with these stories of how to make a muzzleloader how to build a log cabin how to cure like hog fat you know, how to build a fire, where do you go to get this, where do you, you know, how do you grow these things, what does canning look like, and these are things that I think kind of die out, because people, people may disagree with me, I think we kind of have what we would describe as like a throwaway culture, where it's, you know, single serving this, single serving that, you know, we talked about it over the summer, we both grow gardens, we both can, we both do all that kind of stuff, not because I, I just kind of find it fun, but it gives you stuff to be able to pass down. Like I do, I do all my canning with my son. I do all my butchering with my sons. Like these are things that I want to be able to pass on to them because I think it's important uh, things for life as, you know, not just something you can teach somebody else, but something that's important for um, to be passed down from years gone by. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Mm-hmm. I'd like to get into a little bit of that stuff, you know, some of those books you mentioned and everything with all that info, that'd be really cool to have actually. So mm-hmm. if you want to buy them for me and give them to me, that's fine. <laughs> no, um, I, I like all that stuff. And it's just, that's one thing, like I probably will invest in something like that. I'll probably have it on my phone or something mm-hmm. because it's easier that way. And yep. I don't have to store something, but with that said, that's perfect for laying on the beach with the wife or, you know, oh, when yeah. you're on it, when it's not your turn to drive, when you're going to Florida or when we yep. go out West or whatever, that's a hell of a way to just take your mind off things and absorb information that is beyond useful. The other thing, um, you know, to kind of talk about that a little bit, we are going to do an entire series and I think I'm going to con your ass into coming up and helping me. <laughs> We're going to talk about canning a lot. Yeah. Food preservation. Um, I want to teach people how to can. I think that that is a dying art that mm-hmm. cannot go away. 
and things somehow taste better. I mean, you can't be fresh, but let's face it. Do you want frozen green beans or do you want green beans out of a mason jar that you canned? Like, well, it, yeah, exactly. And stuff tastes way better out of your garden. Like it just yes. does. Like it, yeah. it always does. You can't, you can't argue. I, I will like fight somebody if they tell me that like the stuff that <laughs> the stuff that they get from the store is better. Cause it's not, it's just it's not. not, um, you know, salsa you make from your garden, tomato sauce, you make from your garden pickles. We're still going through pickles that, you know, I, I made this year. Do those, but, do those keep long for you? The pickles? After a few months, man, ours just turned it. Really? Trash. Yeah. Man, so, so here's the secret. And th- this is, this is a Margie Cates uh, oh, thing shoot. that she taught me how to do is Margie. do you use, do you use um, ball makes this little thing. It's like a white jar, like a white plastic jar with a green top and it's called pickle crisp. You oh, take, wow. Yeah. You take like an eighth of a teaspoon and you that's just what it is it. too. Because they get the like soft and slimy, like they're just aging. Yep. God, dude. I'm so attracted to your mom right now. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, use it, dude. That is awesome. I use it in everything I pickle. So, like, if I do asparagus, if I do pickles, if I do carrots, whatever you know goes in in the pickling brine that I use, I throw some of that in there just to keep it crisp. And I'll open it. I opened a, uh, a thing of pickles. What is this? fourth i opened a a jar yesterday and i canned these back in august and they're completely crisp dude yeah okay okay that's that's another little see this podcast is helping me damn it that's (laughs) awesome we're gonna have awesome pickles now because that's like that pisses me off i'm like dude we're canning these things they should keep for a year yeah give me give me some love like come on They'll, 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 they'll be edible. They ain't going to be good, but they'll be yeah. edible. I don't want shitty pickles. So that should be like a brand name. Shitty pickles. Uh, so let's talk about some other stuff here. So um, it was interesting. Me and Rick were discussing talking points to try to stay slightly organized, if you will. Uh, it more or less keeps me from going down 8,700 rabbit holes. But um we're talking about night crawlers and I thought, man, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's really too early to talk about that. And then right as I thought, but wait a minute, Rick's like, but, so I'll let you yeah. have this one. So just to, just to kind of preface this yeah. for those of you that have not night crawler hunted, you can't just go anywhere. It has to be pretty fertile ground. Yeah. A lot of times river bottoms are great in places where you've grown gardens, flower mm-hmm. beds. Generally it's going to be sandier, nicer soil. But uh, for that, uh, with that said, excuse me, um, if you haven't been night crawler hunting, take a kid out and go take a flashlight. Um, One little tidbit for you is to run the batteries down a little bit so that that light isn't hitting them. And uh, it's not such a huge temperature change because, you know, you can go in like mid to late March when it's still kind of cool outside. Mm -hmm. And you will notice that they fly into their holes right away. So if you haven't been, though, I would highly uh, recommend you go. One, it's fun. Two, it's free bait that otherwise costs you a pretty good penny. So Rick is actually going to give you a sweet little idea to go ahead and take care of now to prepare yourself. 
So a, a good idea to do, and this is a perfect thing to do with your kid, um, with a group of, like if you're in scouts or anything like this, it's a great little project to do in the winter months because it can get prepped and it's super easy to do. And it's to make a night crawler box. And a night crawler box, you, know, you can do it a couple different ways. Um, you know, when I was younger, we had a small box. You put some newspaper in there, some dirt and things like that. And you'd be able to go dig up your night crawlers, keep them in that box. And they keep for goodness knows how long. But if you go online and you just type in like night crawler box, um, you'll find multiple uh, ways to do it. So one, one, of the, one of the ways that I, I would suggest just for a basic way, if you're just trying to get into it a little bit, uh, is just to construct a small box that you can hold, um, hold the worms in and allow yourself to um, keep them in for, 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 for a long period of time. You know, the thing that I think of like a, as a night crawler box though, um, almost is, I mean, I would almost call it like, like a worm farm. Uh, you can construct like the outside uh, structure of it and keep like, put it down into the ground in an area that might have a little bit more fertile ground that you're not uh, used to even going near. And you can keep like a lid on it or something like that. So you go out there uh, in the spring months uh, or the early, uh, you know, even the early spring months, like Chris said, and you'll be, have these worms in there to be able to go crappie fishing, bluegill fishing, cat fishing, whatever, uh, to be able to do that. All, plans are online. Like, I mean, they're super simple. I just typed in night crawler box in Google and, you know, worm container, how to make a night crawler compost bed, which is what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, that, that's a very simple thing for you to go and do. And it, it, it literally would probably cost you less than $20 to make it. And it's a wonderful thing to teach your kids because you can then take that and then use it for other things. You know, you can use it for bait. You can use it for, you know, a number of different stuff. We used to actually, we would um, like have fish in an aquarium. We would, you know, feed the night crawlers to those. So you'd see that kind of stuff, which I always thought was kind of cool. Uh, but these are just small ideas that you can do with that. Now, the other thing is just kind of an aside that you can do for a project in the winter if you can find lumber right now, because again, COVID, but this is a good time to start making bluebird boxes as well. Yeah. Um, oh, and wood duck boxes. And wood duck boxes, exactly. So the, these are these are simple projects that you can do conservation-wise to help out a whole lot. Uh, most wildlife offices for the state have those plans and will tell you how to make those things. Um, the Bluebirder, I think it's the Bluebirders Association of America will be more than happy to send you ideas and information about making bluebird boxes for the Eastern Bluebird. The other thing is that they'll inform you of how to keep sparrows out of those as well. And if you actually just finished his book the other day, Stephen Ranella wrote a book where uh, he, uh, part of a meal that he did was sparrows and how he kept them out of bluebird boxes with a sparrow trap. So yeah, I mean, it's, nice. it's nice. Yeah, so there, there's there's a lot of cool little projects that you can do over these next few months to keep yourself busy 
and to make a big impact in your upcoming nature year. Absolutely. Um, man, that's, that's such good stuff, dude. I'm pumped. Makes me want to go wake my kids up and build a damn box. Um, so I'm going to save the best for last. Okay. We all know what the best is. <laughs> Banging redheads. <laughs> so uh, second to last, though, is uh, one of my favorites. And um, I'm like beyond excited about this. But competition archery season is right around the corner. Again, just like when deer season is ending and uh, you know, you feel like you need new strings. If you're a competition shooter and you're worth your weight in salt, you need new strings and you should probably already know that. But for those that are wanting to get in to the IBO, ASA, uh, IAA, blah, 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 blah. Um, you're going to need fresh strings for sure, because you're going to put you know, if you're practicing and everything, you're going to put five or 10,000 shots downrange and 5,000 is on the extremely low side. I would say anywhere from 10 to 16,000 is probably going to be somebody that's shooting quite a bit. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, at tournaments and practice shoots and uh, even sighting in and checking your bow, you're blank bailing and you're doing all this different stuff that's just putting wear on these strings. So a fresh, a fresh new set of threads is going to be super necessary mm -hmm. right now. So that's one thing that I would take care of. The other thing is, is, you know, indoor spots and indoor 3d is really starting to come into full swing. Now that the hunting seasons are over, uh, they're going to be pretty crowded. And if you're wanting to, you know, earn your money back plus a little bit, you better work on the tuning and do your research on that side of things. Um, myself and Luke and some others will be helping you guys out with some how-to videos on that here soon. Um, obviously, sighting in goes without saying. Uh, one little sort of piece of information that some of you that might follow me a little bit already understand and utilize, but um, rather than aim, I don't know why this is, but for whatever reason, we want to aim at like orange dots and yellow dots and all this like vibrant stuff. Go get a dark brown, you know, a general piece of cardboard that's six inches by six inches. Go buy a compass for four bucks or five bucks at mm -hmm. Walmart and draw a four and seven eighths circle and then put a 1.75 inch circle inside it. And then put a little black dot in there. And when I say dot, I'm talking like smaller than your pinky nail. And try to hold on that. Trust that the pin's going to float around and you just got to focus on executing your shot. Nobody in the world can hold on that thing for very long. It's going to float a little bit. But you'll find when you start using those darker colors, make sure that dot is black. Mm -hmm. don't, don't use a damn white out marker or anything like that use black and you'll be able to see it better honestly and um for whatever reason those black dots they like attract you 
like a damn bee to a flower or something. It's crazy. You'll notice that there'll be like a chunk missing in a target. Mm -hmm. No matter how much you don't want to hit that damn thing, your arrow goes right into it. It's like guaranteed, it seems like. So um, that's just a little bit of advice for sighting in and uh, obviously save up your money for the tournaments that you want and make sure you're getting your hotels in line, uh, your gas money in line. I mean, these are costs that people don't think about and it's a crap load of money. Um, when you start talking about gas, that's, you know, to a place four, six, eight hours away and you're going to one or two of those a month. And then, you know, well, going all sure, over the state to practice. Like be sure, like when you're going and you're, and you're doing this kind of stuff too, because we still are in the age of COVID like that, this like stuff's going to be open when you're going to some of these. Places oh God. Yeah. Too. And like what, what each state's rules are like, you know, we, we, we preach about regulations and all this kind of stuff, but that's the same thing. Like when you go to an archery competition, you know, you, you need to know what's going on in that state because the, what's going on in North Dakota isn't going on in, in Florida or isn't going on in kidding. Ohio or wherever. <laughs> I went out there to Wyoming and Nebraska. Dude, they aren't, they aren't anything. They're like just <laughs> living life, dude. It was pretty nice. Um, so with that said, um, this is something to think about when you, if you want to compete, you need to think about, it's going to cost you probably 10 bucks a week minimum to go to these shoots mm -hmm. and get that practice in. You're going to need a solid target. You're going to need your arrows. You're going to need your stabilizers. And I understand everybody's on a different budget and not everybody has this sponsor and that sponsor and that discount mm -hmm. and this free thing or whatever, but get what you can. And I highly recommend to get all you can because equipment does matter. I used to think that it didn't. You can only be so good at something until your upgrades come with better knowledge, equipment, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at there uh, with the competition stuff. Just make sure you're saving your money for all your tournaments and everything. Get your hotels in line. If you know, if you're halfway smart like me get you a shooting buddy or two that's going to go to the same stuff as you and then you can split gas money and split hotels and split all this different stuff and uh mm -hmm. it, god it saves some serious money serious and, money uh time um so now let's get to the good shit yeah banging redheads <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk first um, which, I mean, it's all simple stuff. This is mainly for beginners and just to kind of coach people up and remind them, Hey, uh, you know, you need to be doing this right now to help be better prepared. So first off, I think the two most important things that I could say for right now, go find your ammo. If you can't find ammo, learn how to reload it or find somebody that does, because uh -huh. there is a shortage of every ammo because it's like toilet paper and people want to own it all. So yeah, people are panic buying still, unfortunately. Oh, it's insane. So buy up all the ammo. No, sorry. Don't buy up all the ammo you can. But go buy up all the ammo that you need. And and it's okay to buy stuff where you know next year you're not going to need any turkey shells or you know, that's fine. I don't usually I buy. usually try to buy two years worth of stuff. Like when yeah, I when don't I go, go buy like fifteen years worth of shit because 
we're all going to be dead next. Like, come on, man. Well, and to be to be fair, also, ammo go like it's going to go bad. Like, there, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong with like well, holding on to stuff that, too. Let's let's go more commonsensical than this. And I'll talk since Rick's mic just fell. Um, so it's it's up now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first for the podcast, yes. actually. Um, so <laughs> I have to say. If you go buy 50 boxes of X, right, and I don't have any, well, if you have all the ammo, you can only fire so much at a time. So if you're shooting at a wave of zombies or people or animals or whatever, they're going to overtake your ass eventually. So (laughs) let other people buy the damn ammo so we can all fight, you know, we can all be on the same team instead of fighting each other for the damn ammo. Exactly. Government. Um, So... (laughs) That's that's the first thing. The other thing that I actually kind of learned last year. Uh, a couple buddies of mine, Pierce Moore and Luke Lacey, are very very good turkey callers. Mm-hmm. They use mouth calls. Um, they start two, three, four weeks ago, blowing them turkey calls mm-hmm. and and working on everything and i can't stress it enough um the guys that you hear are amazing they are not talented for the most part just like amazing archers generally are not talented people they are full of knowledge mm-hmm. they're very hard working and generally refuse to give up and they're very well prepared so and that comes with organization preparation yeah. all that so practice 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 Start practicing with your mouth calls now. Start even practicing with your box and your your pot calls and everything because mm-hmm. you can kind of j- just like dribbling a basketball or something. You can kind of get to the next level a little bit and do some different things that really help your game. It, 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 it it's it's not hard to do. My my wife despises it, but like I've got a <laughs> mouth call on my nightstand. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a mouth call on my nightstand that I keep in my room. That like if I if I'm up there like upstairs by myself i'll sit there and i'll I'll, like putt i'll yelp whatever drives the dogs crazy but keep one in your truck or your car when you're driving to work it's so simple to like throw one in and like a mouth call at least to sit there and just like practice you know just for five minutes a day if you start now you're going to be way better for it when you do get to uh turkey season especially if you're using a pot call or a box call and you're you know, you're, you're trying to call and figure out how to do that with a gun in your hand. So you can get a shot that's going to be reasonable. Now, you know, me personally, I I carry a pot call and I carry a couple mouth calls and I've always got a mouth call in and I'll pot call for a while. And then when they come in closer or I'll, you know, use both of them at the same time, I'll just switch to the mouth call, but I start practicing with the mouth call now. And for those of you who have a hard time with like, if you have like a bad gag reflex or something, the only way you're going to get better with that is to train your mouth to be better with it. Like that, that's the, it's the unfortunate end of it. Yep. And you know, the first, I, I can remember the first time that someone gave me a mouth call, I almost yacked, like just, it, oh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't happening. And I told myself, I think it was two years ago. It's like, Rick, you're going to learn how to use this. So I sat there. And I like just tried a little bit at a time and it was just a little bit and a little bit. And now, you know, don't have any problems with it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, 
if you need any advice, if you're having trouble figuring out a mouth call as far as just how to make sounds, feel free to call, text, or PM me, and I will tell you how I learned. I just learned last year. I have tried mm-hmm. since I was 15 years old yeah. to use those damn things. To 20 and years. I finally, <laughs> I finally figured it out, and mm-hmm. I just wasn't putting it far enough back in my mouth and in the right place and everything doing the right things. Once I figured that out, I just, I took off. So, and I'm not, I'm terrible. I'm not a good Turkey caller when it comes to a mouth call, but I can call in a Turkey with a mouth call and Mm -hmm. I can make the sounds I need to, especially hands-free. It's so nice. And the other thing is like Rick was talking about, keep one in your mouth as you're walking around. You can, grip it with your teeth or keep it in the side of your mm-hmm. mouth. But the important thing is, is when you're walking and you hear that Turkey gobble, you can immediately cut him off or, yep. you know, reach him at the end of his gobble with a quick cut or cackle or something. And uh, that kind of promotes excitement because that shows that you're excited and mm-hmm. maybe you think he's, he's thinking he's going to come over and get lucky. So, uh, the other thing is uh, scouting is still able to be done right now. Although really the biggest thing I'm doing is I'm looking at fields that the birds are using now and maybe build natural blinds or something, mm-hmm. but, you know, figuring it mark on your onyx or base map or whatever, where some big ass down logs are near, near the field or something, or, big rock structures or anything that you can sit up against or hide behind or create a little blind in. Um, And the other thing, honestly, is, you know, get your gun pattern and that goes along with the ammo stuff. Get, get your ammo together and get the gun pattern and get your beads or true glow sights or your red dots or scopes or whatever put on there now and get everything sighted in and patterned and stocked up now so that way all you have to do is find birds and kill them yep um it really you know for years i didn't have the money and i totally get this uh you know when people don't have the money to just go buy something i get that uh i spent years you know i i remember one opening day i was opening a pack of broadheads in my tree stand i didn't have a broadhead on an arrow and I watched this deer walk, I mean, almost underneath me and I had to watch him as I'm screwing broadheads onto my arrows, like just stupid, unprepared, just got broadheads today kind of thing. And it's like, man, I wish I'd have been a lot more prepared. So this just kind of helps, you know, what, what's the saying, Rick? Uh, Luck is when, what is it? Luck is when preparation, preparation skill or something like that. Preparation and skill meet. Yeah. So um, if you're prepared, luck favors the prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it helps out a lot. So uh, that being said, Sir Rickles Pickles, do you have any closing thoughts? Any final thoughts? 
I mean, my only final thoughts are, um, first and always, if you have the ability to take someone new out in the outdoors this year, please do so and be able to have them experience something that we all love to do. I do have one closing, uh, one closing thought with regards to something that we don't talk too often about, and that is uh, the state parks and national parks. They are open for business. If you're going to a national park this summer, this goes along with preparation, lots of them are requiring reservations to get in and to be able to go and see some of those things. So if you're heading out west, it's a very important thing to do because you don't want to get out to Yellowstone and not be able to get in. But yep. also, this is an absolutely wonderful time of year to get out and go hiking at some of your state parks and if, you, if you're lucky enough to have a national park in your state, there's tons of cool stuff to do. I know in Kentucky, there's Carter Caves, there's parts of Red River Gorge, there's Daniel Boone National Forest, Mammoth Cave. You know, these are, and Mammoth Cave is a national park in, in the United States. There's so a, awesome. Oh, man. And if you, if you haven't been, I, I would really suggest that you look and you try to go to some of this stuff in the coming months because... It's cold. People don't want to be out there, but the scenery is still absolutely amazing when you go to some of these places. So you know what that's absolutely my tidbit. sucks is that the winter nationals used to be held at Mammoth Cave. Yep. And dude, that was such a nice shoot put on by great people. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I, I always thought to myself, man. When the kids get a little older, oh man, I'm gonna drag awesome. the wife down here, mm -hmm. and then I'll leave her alone by herself <laughs> because she's scared to death of that shit. But I'm gonna take the kids on a tour in the caves, just like I did, and yep. take them through Fat Man's Misery and all that, yep. and uh, just show them a good time. And then here we are, you know, Winter Nationals is no longer there, so it kind of blows. But yeah, I mean, this, me this feel goods it's it's one of those things where uh i used to do it as a kid we would uh we went to uh like old man's cave in ohio like in the winter and it looks great like when it's when it's frozen solid like it's really cool looking so you know don't don't be afraid to get out and do your hiking and that kind of stuff now too because you're going to be better for it come springtime when you're chasing birds up and down hills so th yep. those are my only thoughts for uh okay. out this week so yeah, I, son of a bitch. So <laughs> I'm going first from now on. No, um, so yeah, getting getting shape. I plan on being. I I decided I want to be young again and show people what I used to be like. So we're gonna do that. Um, but getting shape for your turkey season and everything, mm -hmm. of course. But um, I kind of want to hit on something that sort of hits home with me. Um, so. The people that I respect the most when it comes to competition archery, fishing, hunting, they all seem to possess these traits. And it's very weird to me that no matter what I do, if I want to better myself at it, they're always there to like selflessly help. And they're never like mad that you're you know, you outfish them one day or you mm -hmm. killed a bigger buck that year, you beat them in a tournament. They're happy for you, man. Um, so I would say my closing thought is not only recognize those people in your life 
and keep those mofos around and take good care of them, but be one of those people. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that this, you know, there's all kinds of people in the hunting and archery and fishing and everything that, you know, they want their own show. They want their own podcast. They want their own sponsors. They want to make money. They want to do all this and they want to be the, the premier badass that everybody looks up to. Um, that's all well and good. Get there by being a good person. Don't cheat to get there. Don't undercut other people to get there. And don't try to like tear other people down and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, it's not worth it. And you run into so much jealousy mm-hmm. when it comes to all this stuff, man. And you could tell somebody about a, a sponsor you picked up. And then before you know it, that person's sending you the person that's sponsoring you, the company, whatever, they're sending you a screenshot of what this person said that was bad about you or whatever. And you're just like, Oh, Oh my God. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I would highly suggest, you know, we, Rick and myself and quite a few others that are on the team, we always talk about how we want to change the industry. And that is one of the things that I want to change the most, most. So be super selfless and look out for other people. Don't, don't try to tear other people down. I can't say it enough because stuff like that really like removes your sort of zest Mm -hmm. for this stuff because it's really, it'd be like somebody just like, I don't know how to describe this without seeming like a psychopath, but it would be like somebody forcing your wife to eat 20 pounds of potatoes a day and making her ugly or so you know what i mean like yeah it's not a as attractive and 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 you don't love it as much like i can't say it enough man just be a good person and be there for people and the people that are there for you make sure you recognize that because not everybody the the guys that you call buddies and i talk to a lot of people about this Mm -hmm. they say the same thing not everybody's clapping when you're winning keep those people around so that's sorry to kind of go a little deep there, but um, no, that's it's, my good. Thought. <laughs> it's good information. So, I mean, it, it's good to get that out there. And I think people need to hear that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't really, there's a lot of people that ask all the time, like, how do you get on this pro staff or what would you say if I wanted to get on that one or, you know, whatever, how do you get sponsored and all that? And it's, it's actually not as complex as people think having a social media audience really Mm -hmm. helps and then being active and everything really helps, but you got to at least be okay. at something I think Um, I would like to think anyways, but uh, I I think that a lot of people don't get the, because they're not on staffs and all that, they don't get the exposure and understand that it is actually like Uber cutthroat Mm -hmm. and, you got to kind of watch your P's and Q's a little bit. Yep. Be so, sure to be sure to monitor what you're doing and what you're saying because it, it yeah. is important to do. So, oh, yeah. All righty. Well, with that, this has been Fueled by the Outdoors. We've been your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. And we will talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. See you. And that will do it for our podcast today. 
please remember to subscribe, like, review on all major podcasting platforms. We are available on Apple, Google, TuneIn, CastBox, Spotify, and all other major podcasting platforms. As always, we are available for contact at theeliteoutdoors1 at gmail.com. That is theeliteoutdoors, the number one, at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you next time.